the NFL stands for not for long. Set Sharga and Armstead. Roll out. Walker still running out. Looks to the left. Wide open. Thompson touchdown. Colin Thompson with the touchdown. There was nobody within 20 yards. What of a catch off the bobble. Colin Thompson scoops it up. Lofting quarter of the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. The first NFL touch for Colin Thompson is a score. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Colin Thompson Show presented by Not For Long Media. Brought to you by our friends over at the Fudge Kitchen. They ship fudge and sweet treats across the country. Fudgekitchens.com. Check them out. A great little gift. Mixing things up. Always a great mix-up. I love sending people fudge, chocolate, sweet treats. Always a little bit better than your normal, normal gifts for the holidays or for birthdays or for whatever it may be. Valentine's Day is coming ever so quickly. So breaking news in the college football world, of course, Nick Saban stepping away from college football. First thing comes to mind is a fun story of my recruitment back in the day from Alabama and Nick Saban calling my head coach in high school, Steve Devlin. So I was in the weight room and coach Devlin comes in the weight room, pulls me out of it, says, you need to come see me in the office. I thought I was in trouble. I've always had that guilty conscience on me. And coach Devlin hands me the phone. He says, it's Nick Saban from Alabama. Go. And I talked to Coach Saban for probably about 30 seconds. It wasn't really long, but hey, man, we're going to offer you a full scholarship. I think you're a great player. I think you'll be a great player for us at Alabama. Let's get on a Zoom call and let's start the recruiting process and get to know each other a little bit more. We really never Zoomed after that again. A little bit of contact here and there, but the recruitment kind of took off at the University of Florida because of several reasons. And I ended up obviously not going to Alabama. But I'll, I'll never forget that moment, hearing his voice on the phone, and my heart just sinking and just pounding out of my chest, being like, holy cow, Nick Saban just called me and offered me a scholarship. I'm just some kid from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, who just wanted to play college football, let alone have Nick Saban call you and offer you a scholarship. So truly, truly was blown away and just something I'll never forget, him giving me a phone call and saying, hey, let's Zoom. So that shows all you young kids out there where we were at in that point of time. For sure, they ended up sending up a recruiting coordinator who, or maybe in a, a position coach, ended up like filming everything we did in the weight room and was like really up close and personal more than any other coach in the recruiting process. I don't know if that was legal or not. I think it was, but it was definitely a unique tactic and they were one of a kind recruiters and something I'll never forget about Nick Saban. So there's lots to unpack <clears throat> about this situation. First and foremost, it's a sad day for college football. It's a it's a it's a horrible day for college football. The the goat, the leader, the legend, the villain to some, the driver of what the SEC has now become between LSU and Alabama is gone. Um, if I'm a coach in another division, excuse me, if I'm a coach in the SEC, I am doing cartwheels, somersaults, jumping jacks, because it's an open field now. It's an open field, completely open field, because you're losing the greatest football coach of all time in a season where they were supposed to be their worst, ended up almost winning a Final Four matchup and getting into the national title game. Crazy moments wrapping out the season, obviously the fourth and 30-plus that happened against Auburn, you name it. There's plenty of things that happened all season long. but. 
people say this is his best coaching effort yet, what he was able to do his last year at Alabama, and I agree. It was an unbelievable ride. I have family members that are huge Bama fans. Obviously, like I said, I got recruited by him, so I've always been a fan of him, and I'm a huge fan of winners. I'm not the guy that wants the – I'm not the guy that gets bored with the same people winning. To me, I, it gets cooler and cooler and more impressive. I don't know as I guess I've been on a lot of losing teams and I've been on some winning teams too, but man, it is hard to win and it's hard to win consistently year after year after year, decade after decade. And what Alabama has done, what the Patriots did, what I wanted the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning to do in a three-peat, like these teams that continue to win at a high level, it's just unbelievable because you got a million things pulling at you to, to fail, but more importantly, how hard it is continues to seed in the college football landscape where so many different people are being ushered in in and out of your program, coaches, players, staff members, academic issues, recruiting stuff, NIL. So it's a sad day for college football, first and foremost. What's next for Alabama? Great question. First off, they need to find someone to replace Nick Saban how do I phrase this with everything off the field? What Nick Saban has done off the field for Alabama is unbelievable. Their enrollment, the boosters, the NIL, what the school has become on a national landscape. They have tons of out of state students now. So it's an investment by the school. When you hire these head coaches, they're the number one marketing tool for schools. What is Alabama going to do? Are they going for an older coach, a newer coach? If I'm one of these coaches in the SEC or the Big Ten that may want to jump there or may have an opportunity to there, well, maybe pause because where you're at may be better and you may have a chance to actually now beat Alabama where before you had way less of a chance. So some popular names that are going to come up, Lane Kiffin, Dabo Sweeney, uh, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Mike Norrell at Florida State, you know, some names that could come up that who knows which way they're going to go. Obviously, Deion Sanders, Chip Kelly, uh, you know, Matt Rule, Will Muschamps, I think, is a unique one who coached under Saban. He's been the D.C. at Georgia. He was the head coach at Florida, uh, recruited me and played for Will. Love Will. And he was the head coach of South Carolina. So has head coaching experience, coordinator experience. Such an interesting one there. And then some NFL names that could come up. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know why you would go to the NFL bound to college football now with NIL and transfer portal. But Mike Vrabel, I think Joe Brady's a name to keep an eye on. A guy who was at LSU and won a national title. He coached at Penn State. Played at William and Mary. Really interesting pick there where Joe was having a lot of success in Buffalo, had success in Carolina. Todd Munkin, the new OC with the Ravens. D'Amico Ryans, I think it's far-fetched. Why would you leave potentially being the head coach of the year in the NFL to go back to your alma mater where you were a great, great player in Alabama, but I don't think he leaves. Bill Belichick I put on my list here, but there's no shot with that for sure. So, you know, I think there's a million reasons why I retire, and I'm sure there's more personal reasons than not. And maybe he gets into him and maybe he doesn't. He is very outward on media and he talks a lot. He's on McAfee show. He's on a bunch of different shows. But at the end of the day, we all know why. He's talked about it forever. The system's broken. Transfer portal, NIL, the media craziness more now than ever. You know, before you could grind and you could put effort in and you could win in recruiting. But now you could grind to put effort in and still absolutely lose in recruiting because you can't match the dollar amount of somebody else or there's now agents involved or there's just so many different parties pulling and plucking at you instead of just 
doing what you've always done. And he's adapted, obviously, more than any other coach in college football, adapt or die. And he's never died in college football, at least in the last 20 plus years, because they were old school offensive power eye, play defensive team. Now they're playing in the gun and are just absolutely dominant, of course, this year with winning a bunch of football games and getting to the final four, right? It, he's changed his personality, it seems. He's always been great with the media, but now with recruiting and how you got to change and recruit players differently and coach players differently now more than they was even five, ten years ago. So people will say, oh, Nick Saban's old school and all this stuff. Well, you don't, you're not old school at 72 years old and still recruiting the type of players and the talent that you're getting. You need to be able to relate to players. So Nick Saban always was was that, will be that. And something to keep an eye on is what Kirk Herbstreet's saying. Kirk Herbstreet, I found out, has got a lot, a lot, a lot of say in college football. Obviously, you see him in media. You see him calling college football games, NFL games. But Kirk's a real deal now, obviously. We all know how successful he is in media. But what he says, people that he talks about, different movements, Kirk usually has his finger on the pulse with that stuff. He, he's got a lot of insider knowledge, obviously, and a lot of people trust and respect him. So sad day. Really, really, really sad day for college football and really sports in general. One of the goats is walking away. Really crazy stuff. Pete Carroll today as well. Another goat in this in this industry, this football sports industry. Mike Vrabel yesterday. Just craziness there too. So a lot of change in the football atmosphere and within the last 72 hours, there's been chaos. And I think in the next 72 hours, there's going to be continue to be chaos Really something to look at this weekend is these playoff teams. These playoff teams, are all these coaches going to keep their job or are all these coaches going to stay where they're at? Win or lose, are all these coaches in the NFL going to keep their job or stay where they're at? And I said it on my broadcast yesterday. A lot of my opinions I can't share because I'm trying to get back in this league. I'm going to give it another shot, give it another year. Why not? I love the game. I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel great. I'm going to keep playing, see if I can get an opportunity. But there, there's going to be some changes with some people and some primes of people. And the Pete Carroll one surprised me. I mean, that's that's shocking, but understood, you know, in the 70s and things like that. So tough day in college football. Tough, tough day for college football. Hey, guys, looking for financial advice, check out our friends over at Wealth Advisory Services. They've been fantastic to me. Shoot me a text, DM. I'll put you in touch with Paul and their team. They've just been great, honestly. I talk about them all the time in here. They've been one of my sponsors all the way through. But really, I work with them personally. My family works with them personally for a decade now, plus. And, um, yeah, they support the show. But, really, they support me, my family, buying houses, investment, helping businesses with 401K planning, um, short-term investment, long-term investment, different things you're doing. They're going to help you achieve your goals. Check them out, wealthadvisoryservices.com. If you don't know them, you should. If you don't know them, you can shoot me a text or DM me. I'll send you their contacts personally. Truly, truly fabulous, fabulous, fabulous people. All right, so Dan Quinn is up for multiple head coaching jobs now. Second, third year in a row. DQ has been on the open market and kind of waiting for the right job and the right opportunity. We'll see if that fits him. He had interviews last year and turned them down. But I thought it was fitting to talk about Dan Quinn and the type of person he is and just share a little story about Dan Quinn, when he was defensive coordinator of Florida, and he recruited me on story on the beginning and story on the end. So in the beginning, we had the normal home visit. Derek Lewis, Dan Quinn, and Will Muschamp come to my 
parents' house. We have family there. We have friends there. We have pasta and meatballs. My grandma was making the homemade meatballs, and she's all stressed out that all these coaches are coming. And now to this day, we watch football. My grandma was like, hey, that's Dan Quinn. They're always showing Dan Quinn in the booth. She's like, I made meatballs for him. Yes, you did, Graham. And they were really good. The best she ever made. So Dan just came in, into the house and was just, you know, he's, he's kind of from the Northeast. He's got that great big personality, a great big smile, the big embrace and the hug and the toughness, the guy that you want to play for that's going to hold you accountable, but also is super smart and works super hard. Like that's Dan Quinn, very personable, very positive, very uplifting. So that's kind of my first story. My second story, I was leaving Florida and I had a bunch of lower body injuries and I, I was a mess, like physically not in great shape. I couldn't really run or do any cardio. Like, it was just not good. And that's why I ended up leaving Florida medically disqualified. So Dan was leaving for the NFL or maybe he would have, he was in the NFL already and he came back. Maybe he was in Seattle scouting. I think he was. And he saw me training as I was transferring Florida. He kind of put his arm around me and he was like, all right, now you're starting to look like an NFL tight end. I'll never forget that. And that kept me moving like, okay, you know what? Maybe I am making some progress and going in the right direction because I was at rock bottom in Florida. Their medical staff said, I'll never play football again. So to hear that from Dan, that motivated me. And then lastly, we were playing Atlanta. This is 2021, I believe. 2020, 2021, one of those seasons, DQ's last year. And right before the game came up, me like gave me a giant hug. He just like, dude, I'm so proud of you. I can't believe we're on the field together. Like where we were when we both left each other to here now is something I'll never forget. And just gave me a huge hug. And then I hugged him right after the game and told him I loved him. He told me he loved me. And Again, we were real close in the recruiting process, and one of the main reasons why I went to the University of Florida, a decision that changed my life for the good forever. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. And he got fired, like, whatever it was, an hour later by, you know, the Atlanta Falcons franchise. So that just shows you the character of that man after losing to us in Carolina to be tough, to just, just be a legend of the game. That's DQ, and whoever gets Dan Quinn is getting a caring, loving, compassionate, just a guy who gets it in this football business about family and building relationships and doing it the right way. DQ is fantastic. You saw what he did in Atlanta. They made it to the mountaintop and then, you know, things didn't go the way they went, but man, oh man, DQ, whoever gets them, you're really blessed to have that type of person in your building as a head coach. I'm going to talk about another candidate now that's up for jobs and that's Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes to me is the perfect person for the Carolina Panthers jobs. I don't know if he's interviewing for the job or not. He interviewed for the job last year. He was the interim head coach for the Panthers last year. Chris Tabor, he interviewed for the job. But, you know, I've already talked about Tabes on this broadcast, how much I love him. But Steve Wilkes is the perfect person for the Carolina Panthers head coaching job. He's from Carolina. He's had two separate stints in Carolina, a coach on the Super Bowl run team with Cam Newton and Luke Keekley and all those great players. Greg Olson, Jonathan Stewart, you name it. They had some studs. He was working with the defensive back, I believe, during that stint. And then Carolina coach Rule brought him in. He was working with DBs again, working with the defensive staff, and then the interim head coach. And you guys saw what we did in Carolina. We really took off those last, whatever that was. I think it was 10 games. It was quite some time. And you could feel the momentum of the building shift. I've heard how unbelievable he was with the front office and scouting. I know he was great to the players and coaches. And he really revitalized the building that was just down. Traded C-Mac, got rid of Baker Mayfield, fired the head coach that brought a lot of us in that building. And here comes Steve Wilkes. And 
he was unbelievable to play for. He took care of people. He was personable. He cared about family and friends, like truly, truly cared about your family and friends. Was an unbelievable coach and a great X's and O's coach as well as, again, someone who's really relatable. So Steve Wilkes would be perfect for that job in Carolina. I know he didn't get it the first time. He may get another job before that even comes about, and I wish him nothing but the best of luck. He's a first-class man, first-class coach, a great football coach. There's a lot of really good coaches in this league, and I'm glad some of these guys that are you know, defensive backs coach, a defensive coordinator, a special teams coach are getting these opportunities now because truly these guys all deserve jobs. And, and, and Steve Wilkes, in my opinion, would be ideal for the Panthers, a perfect, perfect match for the future of that franchise and someone that I think the fan base would really – all right, so there's a coordinators list that came out. The NFLPA, people say some of the best things that the NFLPA has empowered players with is the power for us to vote. And what does that mean? To vote on different things inside the building. Last year, stuff came out about buildings and coaches and and I'm talking facilities where players are. The facility, the place you call home, you know, 10 months a year. And vote like, What's the meal staff like? What's the training staff like? Is the locker room big enough? Like all the little things that fans think are state of the art, but they're not. It's not college football. There's recruiting and you're trying to get these parents sold and get these kids sold on academics and, you know, the big hot tubs and cold tubs and all that stuff. Like the NFL doesn't have to do that at all, especially the ones that keep on winning. You know, like, yeah, people reinvest back into their franchise, but they don't really need to, to some extent, like, they own it. It's not college. You're not recruiting. You're drafting kids and you're getting free agents. So usually if you can pay the most, you get the free agent at the end of the day anyways. But a lot of NFL facilities are updated and are really nice. Minnesota was incredible. Um, that's a brand new facility to some extent. I was there in training camp, as you guys know, and that one really, really, truly blew me away. All I've done is talk about how awesome that franchise was. So, okay, let's unpack this list that the NFL PA put together because I think it's really cool they ask players to kind of dive in on the top coordinators and give a vote on what they think the top coordinators are. And I wish they gave out the full list because I think they should. I think they should. So the top five defensive coordinators, Aaron Glenn, Detroit Lions, Steve Wilkes, San Francisco 49ers, Dan Quinn, Dallas Cowboys, Brian Flores, the Minnesota Vikings, Raheem Morris with the Rams. Now, I've played for Wilkes, Quinn, and Flores, now I was on the offensive side of the field for Flores, but I got to face his defense every day in training camp. Steve Wilkes should be an NFL head coach. I think he'd be perfect for the Carolina Panthers. Dan Quinn should be an NFL head coach. Would be perfect for a lot of great franchises. Brian Flores was a head coach, should be an NFL head coach, a leader, competitive, tough. Love what he's doing with the Minnesota Vikings defense here. All the pressures, the, the different ways they use different players on that defense that is so, so good. So Steve Wilkes, for sure, toughness, grit, relatability to players. I think Dan Quinn's got the very, very similar attributes. Toughness, grit, relatable. Love DQ and Brian Flores, too. A lot of very similar, similar attributes between those defensive coordinators. Again, I'm just talking about the guys that I work with in particular. All right, let's move over to the offensive side of things. Top five offensive coordinators. Frank Smith, Miami Dolphins. Thomas Brown, Carolina Panthers. Brian Schottenheimer, Dallas Cowboys. Brian Callahan, Cincinnati Bengals. Kellen Moore, LA Chargers. All right, so I haven't played for, I played for one person on the list, and that's Frank Smith with Miami Dolphins. Frank Smith 
voted the number one offensive coordinator in the NFL. First off, he may not be the exact play caller for the Miami Dolphins, but I know he's got his fingerprints all over it, especially the run game. This is a guy who's a tight end coach, offensive line coach. He's like a gritty, tough guy, but also super fun and personable and relatable. Frank Smith's a great, great NFL candidate. Will be a great head coach. Super humble. Check out some of his press conferences. Like a guy who was just working his way up from Division Three football to now being one of the top offensive coordinators in the NFL and getting a bunch of opportunities to be an NFL head coach, which is awesome. And it brings a smile on my face because Frank's one of the best people you're going to meet. Truly, generally cares about his players. He was my tight end coach with the Bears in 2017 for eight weeks on the practice squad before John Fox's staff got let go and Frank moved on and has been really a rocket ship ever since that moment. So Frank's great. I wish Frank nothing but the best, and I'm sure he'll be a head coach in the NFL sometime very soon. All right, so the top five special teams coordinators. This list, this one uh, tugs on the heartstrings for me for sure. John Fossil, Dallas Cowboys, notoriously known for the, all the fakes and all the things he did with Johnny Hecker out with the Rams, Chris Tabor, Carolina Panthers, Matt Daniels, Minnesota Vikings, Dave Fitt, Detroit Lions, and Darren Rizzi, New Orleans Saints. So I played for Chris Tabor with the Panthers. Obviously, I've talked about him on here before. I think he's a fantastic candidate, and I think all these guys should be up for an NFL head coaching job. Special teams coaches know the rosters more than any other coach on the staff. They truly work with every player and try to find – if not knowledge from a player, they're going to find a way for that player to help them on special teams because you don't have a lot of players to work with. So Chris Tabor, absolute legend, huge personality, fun to play for, but also tough and has the old school and will get after you a little bit in a good way because he's a great teacher, mentor, and he holds guys accountable. It has a blast too, like the perfect blend of like what you'd want in a coach. Chris Tabor's it. Matt Daniels, Minnesota Vikings. You're going to hear more about this guy as you continue to move forward through the NFL as your fandom continues to grow, the Minnesota Vikings and what they're doing. I've had just nothing but praise for that organization. Matt Daniels will come in. He's got the little light music playing in the background. He's got engagement with the room. There's different ways we break it down, different chants, different cheers, different engagement. Guys are picking music. But at the end of the day, it's all about ball, all about getting people comfortable with each other, comfortable with the coaches, willing to take coaching, that's what Matt Daniel does in Minnesota. He's a fantastic coach, and it's really cool to see him get the recognition on the list voted by the players. Darren Rizzi, New Orleans Saints. This guy's a legend in this league. Guys have talked about him forever. Every coach talks about him in Miami, there in New Orleans. New Orleans special teams is always one of the best in the league. Really good returners, guys that can block kicks. So I just wanted to go through the list because I feel like it was in my wheelhouse a little bit. <clears throat> Uh, to talk through these coordinators and people that I play with and, and bring some more insight into what's to come. So the NFLPA also put out a all-pro first team. Players Association got the vote. So players could not vote for themselves or for their own team. Only active NFL players are eligible to vote. Each player can only vote once. If a player missed five or more games as of week 15 of the season, they were ineligible for a spot on the Team players voted for the position group they play in and line up against on the field. For example, centers could vote for the best center, the best nose tackle, the best interior defensive lineman, the best off the ball linebacker in the league for special teams or corner or core teamers category. Various players, leaders from each locker room nominated their two spot players for that ballot. So the obvious ones here, you know, Lamar, Christian, Kyle Juszczyk at fullback, CD Lamb, tight end Travis Kelsey, Trent Williams, Batonio, and Tyler Smith tied. Jason Kelsey, Zach Barr, and Lane Johnson. The only one I have an issue with on this entire list 
and I think he's one of the greatest, if not one of the best tight ends of all time, is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey this year still had a great year in Kansas City. Don't let all the drama get in your way. He always has some drops here and there. He always has some fumbles here and there. He's a freestyle, loosey-goosey, creative player, and those players sometimes drop passes and have fumbles and aren't looking, quote-unquote, clean as crisp as a George Kittle, who I think should have been the first-team All-Pro voted by the players. George Kittle, to me, is the best tight in the NFL, complete all-around dominance, blocking, pass protection, screen game, route running. He lines up outside by himself and can beat people one-on-one. He can line up in line, make it look like he's blocking and run an over route and catch a ball and go score. George's explosiveness is just ridiculous. The things he can do in that position, being ultra-physical and then ultra-explosive, and then he's just a freak, I think, personally – him and Gronk are the best two to ever do it. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I think the only thing that was wrong on this list would be Travis Kelsey. Yes, he's one of the best, if not the best of all time. And some years he should be on this list. But this year, I think George Kittle earned it. He's always been second fiddle to Kelsey. This year, I think, and this year just particularly, he took a step above him just on this season. Uh, so super impressive and awesome by the NFLPA, you know, allowing players to chime in and make their vote. Because I think that's really, really cool. And I think that's a great way for, you know, the players to have their voice be heard because the media votes on all this stuff, really. And that's cool and all. But at the end of the day, like we all know, like the players are watching the tape. The players are watching the film. They're looking across and seeing who the other players that are really good in their position are and then trying to find a way to get them involved in what they're doing in their game because they want to get better and go about a different way. So a lot of craziness the last couple of days in the football world. Obviously, college football came to an end. That's sad. The NFL season is really just getting started with the playoffs. That's going to be crazy. Excuse me. This coaching carousel is nuts. Like nothing I've ever seen before with the bigger names attached to it. Pretty crazy. And I and I think we're going to just, like I said, I think we're just seeing the beginning of it. There's going to be changes for these teams that are in the playoffs. This Nick Saban thing, no, this is a huge blow. I, I think people are just absorbing it right now and saying, man, this stinks, and oh, man, it's a bummer, and uh, who's going to be the replacement and all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, it's going to leave a massive hole in college football, what we know today. Nick Saban is on the Mount Rushmore. He is the only thing, really, truly, when it comes to what he's done for college football in the last 30 years. I mean, crazy 25 years whatever it was his run between michigan state lsu alabama um he's one of the best if not the best football coach of all time and in this media consumption world we're in today we consume so much stuff and my timeline's just consumed by him at a podium constantly talking about leadership mentorship and you could see why the guy just produces and pumps out you know more first round picks than anybody in the history of college football plus I think 10 or 15, whatever it was, above Joe Pa. So <clears throat> I digress. I want to jump on here tonight and talk about it. There's a lot going on in the sports world. A lot of people are texting, calling, thoughts, and giving me a bunch of stuff, but I really wanted to, um, you know, feel it out and talk about it and get some of these group texts that I've been in to kind of bring them to life and talk about a few things. So thanks for tuning in. In. Thanks to the original Fudge Kitchen for your support. Thank you to Wealth Advisory Services for your support. Touch base with me, guys, with any questions, comments, or concerns. More to come with my show. I appreciate everybody tuning in and working through the technical difficulties the other night. Again, uh, can't thank you all for your support and not for long media. Check out all our shows. 
And I hope everyone has a great night. And I don't think college football will ever be the same.